I still remember where I was the first time it hit me. I maybe do have ADHD. And it's funny, I posted a TikTok the other day about having ADHD and a good friend of mine texted me and said, remember when you swore to me you didn't have ADHD? Oh, goodness. Well, listen, if you relate to that at any point in your life, I want to share a podcast that you should tune into. It's called ADHD Aha, hosted by Laura Key. It's candid stories from people who share the moment it clicked that they or someone they know has ADHD. In each episode, you'll hear heartfelt interviews about the unexpected emotional and even funny ways that ADHD symptoms can surface for adults. And it doesn't always look the way we thought it would. So check it out. To listen to ADHD AHA, search for ADHD AHA in your podcast app. That's ADHD AHA with AHA spelled A-H-A. Hello, you sentient balls of stardust. Today is a good day for struggle care. I am so excited to have Mercury Stardust here on the podcast episode. Say hello, Mercury. Well, hello, Mercury. Mercury. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been listening to my podcast episodes and I realize I never introduce anybody. So I'm going to do that, right? Official. Okay. Uh, so Mercury Stardust is the trans handy ma'am, a professional home maintenance technician, performer, and award-winning activist. Mercury credits her TikTok success to her experience teaching burlesque, where she learned to communicate and create a safe space for students who had frequently experienced trauma. She's been featured in stories by NBC, NPR, BuzzFeed, Newsweek, Washington Post, and Pink News. Her leadership within the trans community has led to collaborations with such brands as iFixit, Lowe's, and the trans healthcare community Point of Pride. Let me just stop right there because can we just start by saying that you recently did a fundraiser? Yeah, 30 hour live stream. Yeah. Yes. And your goal was to raise $1 million. <laughs> yes. How much money did you end up raising? $2,253,000. A pretty wild number, to be honest. <laughs> So before we started recording, you and I were talking about how both of us have kind of known each other parasocially through TikTok. And I want to just kind of like get into your origin story. So those who are listening, you know, you are most well known on TikTok as the trans handyman, where you talk about home repair, home maintenance, and you really kind of gear towards renters and people that maybe have never learned how to do those things. And you're a safe space. Like that's obviously a very male dominated space, like the handyman world. Yeah. So talk to me a bit about creating this space where people who maybe often feel excluded from being able to learn those types of things can come to you. It is wild because so much of the way I teach is a direct result of how I was treated, right? So like I was treated badly when I was learning these things, when I was trying to be able to become a part of this industry, I wasn't always treated with like rainbows and sunshine. I was treated with a lot of like, you know, mud in your eye kind of mentality. And in order to have me survive, I just kind of like toughened up and turned the other cheek. And I hate that mentality. I hate it. I never wanted anyone else to have to go through what I went through. So naturally, when it came to educating people, it just was like a natural transition for me in a lot of ways. And I know a thing or two about transitions. <laughs> uh, so like I just like becoming online and doing all this stuff and communicating what I call gentle DIY is very much just instinctual because it's the way I wish I was taught when I was being taught all this stuff. And so what kinds of things, like, what are some of your biggest videos on, like, home care that you do? Because you're not the kind of home care that I am, where we talk about, like, dishes and laundry and cleaning. 
Yeah, no, the biggest videos I've ever done have been a wide variety. I'm very, very lucky that I went viral for like 10 different things all at once. But one of the biggest things is probably my wall stud video, how to find a wall stud with a magnet, how to fix a door, a bunch of loose uh, screws and a door hinge with toothpicks, you know, how to fix mini uh, blinds in your apartment by taking the bottom blind and putting it in the middle. Just list goes on and on. Really, all these stuff that I thought was pretty straightforward stuff, right? Like either I learned it on the farm growing up as a kiddo, or I learned it when I was in the industry for 16 years. And I just thought a lot of this was secondhand or, or like instinctual, you know? But there's no such thing as common sense, right? As we both know, there's many common ideas, right? <laughs> but that doesn't necessarily mean that everyone is going to automatically know how to do this stuff. So a lot of the stuff that one went viral for was things that are pretty foundational educational tools in the home maintenance industry. So when you got into home maintenance, were you primarily working on houses or apartment complexes? I got in through the home maintenance door through the back door. I was a traveling cabaret performer and I needed to make money. And here's the thing. As a traveling cabaret performer, I went to all these shows across the country, right? 125 different cities, 24, 26 different states. And I made my living Thursday through Sunday just juggling um, half naked in front of strangers, you know? <laughs> because we toured primarily in gay bars all across the country. But, you know, if anyone who's in that industry in burlesque and in cabaret knows you just don't make a whole lot of money anymore from that industry. So a friend of mine said, hey, you should try to be a maintenance intern at this, you know, company that does theatrical lighting called electronic theater controls. And you should become a maintenance technician in their facilities department as an intern for some money. And I said, sure, I'll apply. We'll see what happens. I don't really want to do this stuff. I kind of hate it, but might as well. I guess I'm good at it. I'm good at fixing things and working with my hands, so why not? So I applied, and I got the job immediately. And then within four months, I became a full-time maintenance technician. And then within two years, I became a full-time maintenance technician grade two, which is a big deal in our industry. And then I just kept on going. I just kept on getting certification for certification. And I got 14 certifications in the field. And I primarily, at first... Worked in the industry for 10 years as a building technician. That is like more like big factory company technicians. People who walk around and fix machinery or people who walk around and fix, you know, maybe doors and painting and stuff like that, but not a lot of home stuff. I then shifted into property management and into private contracting while I was there as part time. And then it became full time later on. One of the things that I love that you do quite a lot is that the amount of times that I've had something that I wanted to do or wanted to fix, and I go to YouTube and I go, okay, blah, 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 how to fix this thing. And it's like, go and get the auger 3005. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't own that. Like, And you have so many solutions that I feel like are actually reachable for somebody who might just be renting an apartment. Like maybe they have a basic toolkit and the super that won't fix something. Yeah. It's this mentality that you and I know very well about intersectionality. You and I have talked extensively online about this. And I think that like this is the same mentality I had when it came to helping people with burlesque, right? And making sure that we open that door and make people feel comfortable with things where they're at. And making sure that we lean towards voices that are not often heard in our spaces, right? And one of the voices we don't hear enough in home maintenance is renters. And if you lean into them, right, if you lean into their restrictions... And 
and their experience, what you actually end up doing is you make things way more accessible for literally everyone. If you're worrying about cost, right? Like there's a cost limitation. Well, guess what happens? You're helping renters. If you're talking about like basic foundational entry level home maintenance ideas, then yeah, that's almost perfect for renters because everything that's in a rental it will be in a home. But not everything that's in someone's house that they own is going to be in a rental. So like by that very definition, I was focusing on people that could help everyone. And everyone else in the industry, including this old house, all of them are doing is focusing on huge ideas for people that have become a select few in this country. A lot of people now, especially, you know, my age and younger, cannot afford to access housing, right? And a lot of us struggle day in and day out to try to make ends meet. So yeah, you know, the trick I have that went viral a few weeks ago about using toothpaste to, to be able to place a picture on a wall. So you know where to put the nail? You used I just it. used it, yes. In the video that I posted where I said, you know, I wanted to do my gallery wall. And I had this like long thing in my head about, okay, I need to trace each one on butcher block paper and then lay it all out. And then I need a laser level every little, and then at the end I was like, I'm not going to do this. This is too many steps. I just need to throw them up there. And that's what I did. I got, I had some that had the two holes at the back and I was like, oh shit. And I did, I put the toothpaste around it and I stuck it on the wall and I could see where it needed to go. And that's the other thing. We talked about both having ADHD One of the things that I find is that if I need to do something in my home, whether it's like I needed to put together some shelves, I needed to put up a pegboard for my tools so they were easier to find, I wanted to put up my gallery wall, because of my ADHD, if it's something, if I get in and there's one thing different, like, okay, I can hang a picture, but I've only ever hung a picture with one nail with the, you know, the wire and all of a sudden it's the two and I'm going, well, how do I make those even? Little things like that that I feel like other people might be able to just swerve and Google and figure out, it paralyzes me, you know, and I sit around and I put it off and I put it off and I put it off. And one of the things that your content has been really helpful for me is not only the literal tips and tricks that I've learned, but also just this idea of maybe I could do this, though. Like maybe I could do it and it wouldn't be too hard and it wouldn't be too complicated. And, you know, and so sometimes I just need that extra sort of push to go, well, maybe this won't be as complicated as I think, because I am so used to thinking that everything in the home maintenance world is going to be complicated. Yeah, like everything, it almost feels like it's gatekeeping ourselves in a lot of ways, because like, here's the thing, if you never see yourself on these screens or in this field when you ask for help, if you never see a queer person or a trans person or a woman who's wearing overalls and tools and doing this work, you're going to start thinking this stuff isn't meant for you. Representation works for us too. Like it isn't just about helping other people come to terms with who they are, right? Representation can genuinely be us giving ourselves permission sometimes to be able to want to learn how to do this stuff. And it's just showing up as a real person because like I know plenty of women that do DIY content and things like that where they're, you know, putting together two by fours. But I, a lot of them are very straightforwardly like thin, tan, 
wealthy women with perfect hair that are like, so then I whipped up a cabinet out of scrap wood. And I'm like, well, that's not, I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. But it gives you this idea that like you almost have to be the kind of person that has your shit put together to be able to do something like that. Yeah. There's some videos where I have like stands on my shirt and stuff, you know, like you see me and it's like, did she just come out of like a hot dog cart or... <laughs> You know, and I'm 100%. I think they're like, yeah, I could be in full makeup, right? But I could also be in stand outfits and stuff. And it's really important to me that I don't clean up completely for that notion. Because here's another thing. A lot of the DIY girls on the internet that I followed for a long time before I came here, you know, on the internet myself, uh, looked like they would commit hate crimes against me. You know, <laughs> like they didn't always look like. I'm sorry. That's so funny. <laughs> it's true yes. it's true like sometimes i would be like oh i love her and then i would like dig deeper into her and be like no i don't love her anymore yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. like it's like the religious undertones or maybe they don't have very sensitive ideas to those who are disabled you know they don't meet you where you're at still in a lot of ways they are upholding the patriarchy and not necessarily opening the door it's this mentality of like oh i walked through the door but if in order for me to exist in this room, I have to make sure I slam that door shut before you get through it. And it 100% feels that way in this industry sometimes, especially for DIY like femme content creators. And the amount of times that you've come on the internet and just said, I am having a really hard time is so important because, you know, and I'm kind of similar to you. Like, I don't want to be all put together. And even when I'm doing something that's not about my house, I don't want to clean up my house just to make a video because it contributes to that idea of like, I'm not allowed to do a fun project unless I'm on top of everything else. I can't prioritize fixing that door that's been bothering me for however long because I've got a sink full of dirty dishes or I can't, you know, and there's just all of this weird, moralistic, perfectionistic hierarchy. And there's something really powerful about the way that you show up and sometimes say, I feel really broken today, or, you know, I'm not all put together today, but like we can still get shit done. I am working really hard on myself and I am working extremely hard on trying to take care of myself more. I'm not good at it. I'm very bad at taking care of myself. I'm very good at helping others. I have very little skill when it comes to making bridge for myself. And what I'm finding is that what helps me a lot is to just call what it is and say what it is sometimes. You know, if I'm having a real bad time, one of the biggest stressors I have is I got to feel like I'm making content. I got to feel like I'm making content. I got to feel like I'm producing. I got to feel like I'm on the top of the world. I got to feel like, oh, how dare I even feel bad because blah, blah, blah. So what helps me is just to say, hey, you know, guys, not doing good. I'm a hot mess right now. And I'm not positive I'm going to be able to make content. And I took most of this past month off. I took a lot of this past month off making content. And boy, it feels like a weight has been lifted off my shoulders. All right. So I want to talk a little bit about that, about what it's like being a large content creator and the mental health side of it and all of this. Let's take a quick break, hear from a sponsor, and we'll be back. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is the exquisitely observed memoir of an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to answer the question, 
What Makes a Life Worth Living, as he deals with his own terminal cancer diagnosis. It's a stunning reminder to live while we're alive, a must-read for anyone in medicine from a doctor-turned-patient. For healthcare workers, expand your view on patient care and the fragile beauty of our mortal lives through Kalanithi's unforgettable words. Some of the questions Kalanithi wrestles with in this book include what makes a life worth living in the face of death? What do you do when the future flattens out into a perpetual present? When the future no longer is a ladder towards your goals in life? What does it mean when you have a child to nurture a new life as another fades away? When Breath Becomes Air is a number one New York Times bestseller, Pulitzer Prize finalist, and was named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review, People, NPR, The Washington Post, Slate, and more. When Breath Becomes Air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com slash breath. Hey, if you enjoyed my episode on IEPs and you want to listen to more podcast episodes about IEPs, I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season, the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Urtube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. You might have heard me talk about IEPs on my episode, and this latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I checked out these episodes, and I think that they are a great place for you to go after listening to mine. They go into a little more detail and answer a little more in depth about what an IEP is and whether your child needs one. So listen to Understood Explains by searching for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Are you frustrated by buying your kids clothes and having them grow out of them within a week? Do they itch, pinch, and they just aren't comfortable? Well, then you need to check out Posh Peanut. Made from this amazing bamboo material, the clothes are legitimately so soft and they stretch with your kids as they grow. They are four times stretchier than cotton, made to last, loved by parents, and approved by kids. Posh Peanut makes thoughtfully crafted, beautiful and stylish clothing for kids and families designed in-house from beautiful florals to all of your favorite brands, such as Hot Wheels, Disney, Hello Kitty, and Barbie. Their pieces are made with that ridiculously soft fabric, and it even stays soft, wash after wash after wash. Right now, Posh Peanut is offering our listeners 20% off your first order with promo code STRUGGLE. Go to poshpeanut.com slash struggle and use promo code STRUGGLE for 20% off your first order. That's poshpeanut.com slash struggle, promo code STRUGGLE. Okay, we're back. So I want I would love to talk to you about what that experience has been like for you because I know what it's been like for me. And I am in a similar place of like, I posted three to four to six times a day for like two years straight and then hit a place where it was like, I could force myself to keep doing it at this pace, but I'm not feeling it. I'm not in the flow. And, you know, talk to me about what it has been like to be a prominent trans woman on the internet. I knew I was going to love talking to you because I, you hit it right in the head. Sometimes when people ask me this question, they leave out the trans part. And it's a huge part of my identity. I just wrote a script for a new video that will be coming out sometime soon about how being trans is a small facet of my life. But it's also like I'm five foot 11, right? Being me being five foot 11 is something I don't even think about. But other people perceive me as five foot 11 because I am five foot 11. And how I am able to reach things off of the top of the shelf, how I'm able to do all these things, I access the world through a different lens than someone who's five foot two. And that's just, that's a fact of the world. I am literally five foot two. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Look at that. <laughs> I called it. No. Yeah. 
But like, I have a way through the world differently. So how I experience the things just are innately different. And sometimes people leave that part out about me. And it's like, you're not telling the full story. So to answer your question, Casey, like, I mean, I'm also transitioning in front of millions of people. If you look back two years ago, uh, two and a half years ago, to my first few videos, my bone structure and my cheekbones are innately different. My chest has developed much more. I don't look the same. I just don't look the same. I don't even sound the same. Contrary to a lot of people's belief system, I am, in fact, doing voice training. And my voice is changing slightly over the last two years. And how I'm trying to talk to my audience is changing. Being a large content creator in front of potentially millions of people every day is a lot on your brain when you're also someone who a lot of trans people look up to. A lot of trans people look up to me and maybe they've been transitioning longer than I have. Or maybe they just feel like there isn't any other trans person that they know that they can relate to. And maybe I'm someone they can relate to in some way. That Those responsibilities, oh my God, especially right now with all of the legislation against trans people and all of the communication about trans people in the last year to two years has been just absolutely not so but so. It's been wild is i feel like i'm strapped to a rocket casey and i feel like someone lit it and now i'm just waiting for it to fly off the handle and i'm just like looking at the wick as it's getting shorter and shorter and it's terrifying i feel like i'm white knuckling it every day and that's part of the mental health part of the mental health struggle is me feeling out where i am in the landscape of living my life because there is no more blueprint for me When I was just a technician and I would fix toilets and I would fix sinks and I would fix doors, there was a blueprint of how I did my life. You clock in, you clock out, you go home, you, you know, you raise the kids and you go back to work. And it made sense to me. It was a flu line. Now my days are sometimes all over the place. I can work a four hour day. I could work a 16 hour day. I could work, you know, I could um, be in Anaheim for a week. I could be in New York for a week. I could be, you know, I could be doing a 52 city book tour like in the fall, right? I could be doing all these things all over the place. And there is no more structure in my life that made me feel like I was tethered to a reality that I understood. I feel like I no longer am in the realm of realistic expectations. You know, (laughs) I feel like I don't know what my life is anymore. And as a trans person who's also just like trying to figure it out, it's terrifying, to be honest. So let me ask you two questions and you can answer either one, whichever one's more interesting. The first is, Do you ever feel – there's this thing that I experience sometimes because so much of my platform was built on being sort of a compassionate therapeutic presence that when I perceive someone demanding gentleness from me despite their behavior, there's this like almost rebellion where I want to be a piece of shit to them because I there's like this resistance to – this, like, even though I was the one who chose, like, this is going to be my platform or whatever, I kind of like refuse to be someone's um, little character. And then the next question is, you know, how do you feel like, how is it to balance this feeling of being a leader in a space without being the spokesperson for all trans people, particularly with trans people looking to you and non-trans people looking to you? I think for me, in a lot of ways, I try to remind myself all the time, Casey, that I am someone who consented to one video on the internet (laughs) that went viral. (laughs) You know what I mean? I consented 
to me telling people that I was an intersexual feminist trans maintenance lady. That was my original tagline. It was a stupid tagline. (laughs) (laughs) And I consented to this idea of like that video itself is going to be inspiring and helping people and being kind. And then I felt like I was forced in a lot of ways to maintain that idea. The more I went along, the more I got a lot more rebellious with that like image of myself. You know, that's when I I used to love doing my weekly burlesque show where people would watch me online because I got to be like, fuck you guys. You know what I mean? I got to be like, yeah, my butthole. You know (laughs) know what I mean? I got to counteract a lot of the notions about me. But now that I'm farther away from my retirement from burlesque and now I'm just doing this as a full-time content creator, it's gotten more and more where people will look at me as like a holier-than-thou entity sometimes. And I do get very uncomfortable with it. I do find myself, because here's the thing, I am nice, I'm kind, but I'm not, as Jory Luring Skull, my very good friend would say, I'm no one's pushover. And I think sometimes people feel like they'll like, sometimes they'll meet me and they'll tell me their very, very traumatic stories and they'll tell me how I helped them in those traumatic times. And I'm so grateful to be able to help people in that way. But I'm also not emotionally capable enough to process every single person's trauma. I'm not able to. So I'm finding ways to try to distance myself sometimes for my own mental health from the absolute unloading of people's emotions. So like I am, I can be kind. One of the kindest things I can do to people when they don't know who I am and just come up to me and tell me this kind of stuff is being like, thank you so much for telling me that. I'm not in a great place right now. I cannot hear more of this, but I want to send you my love. You mean a lot to me. And that's it. That's kind. That is kind and that is compassionate, but also that's setting a goddamn boundary. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think for so long, I felt like if I said anything that was counterintuitive to me being like, don't you worry. You tell me everything. You tell me about all that pain that you have. And then I'm not going to, I'm going to go home and I'm going to cry into a pillow all alone for hours because now not just you, but five other people did the same thing to me at Walmart. You know what I mean? And that sometimes happened. Oh, I don't know how, what you feel like and how, what you experience. But for me, if I go to any gay establishment or if I go to, a, uh, you know, a pride or if I go to a gay bookstore, if I go to anything with gay, queer, LGBTQIA in it, I'm going to get um, bombarded uh, and often put into a situation where emotionally I'm going to have a lot to process and it's a weird feeling to have to be in spaces that are safe spaces for the queer community but are no longer emotional safe spaces for me you know what i mean yes i'm on yeah if i'm going to a nightclub and i'm like oh good i get to see a drag show well guess what you're gonna be almost a bigger name than a lot of the drag queens on stage so you better be on you better be in full makeup you better be in full gear you better just own it because if you don't own it it gets even more uncomfortable. And that's a hard dichotomy. So now into the second question about being a leader and not being a spokesperson. Oh boy. After we raised that $2 million, the amount of, of people who were wanting more from me was surreal. Jory and I are both trans women and we work with Point of Pride, which is a nonprofit organization that 
actually vets and helps people directly. They do mutual aid for us so we don't have to vet every single person ourselves, right? Which is a huge task. I could never vet that many people, right? We helped 11,000 people. That's an insane thing to do, right? Without actually having a structure around you to be able to do that. So after we raised all this money for Point of Pride and we do all that, one of the biggest pushbacks we got from people was that we should have did actual mutual aid. People were really upset with us for not doing direct GoFundMes for people or some things like that. And there's no way at a large scale to be able to help that many people. It just There isn't a functional way that I can still live my life and still be okay. <laughs> and to do that, that's where burnout comes. And that's where like there will be problems. You're still, you know, if someone said it was like, I wish you could do direct mutual aid instead of rolling a dice like you're lucky that you get randomly picked. What is me picking a GoFundMe randomly? Do? It's the same thing. <laughs> That's the same thing. But in Point of Pride's notion, there are criteria that makes you eligible. They try their best as much as they can to be equitable. So they focus really strongly on people who are the most marginalized to help them. And because of that, and that's who I'm, I'm aligning myself with, I very much have been taking their example and using that to help me understand how to lead in this industry, like how to lead in my community. I don't necessarily have to be the voice for every single person, but I do feel like I need to be hyper aware of how I am perceived by people and I need to be hyper aware of how my actions will hurt or affect or uplift or diminish other people's voices. Yeah. To be honest, I'm still working this one out, Casey. <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, me too. Well, I was just going to say that, you know, the, the thing that we're not saying to each other is like the caveats that I would give to somebody that wasn't also a large content creator, which is the like, now, obviously I love what I do and I am very grateful to have a large platform and it is very meaningful. And I know that I'm privileged to be able to make a living doing this thing that I really enjoy doing. Like, I don't feel the need to say those things to you and I, you don't feel the need to say them to me because we know how awesome it is and how much privilege to just kind of have gotten lucky on the viral videos. Yeah, this job is the coolest job in the world. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know? It is the coolest. You know, here's the thing. Like, for me, I worked 65, 70 hours a week, you know, in either construction or maintenance or uh, private contracting for years, for years. You know, like, I'm, my knees are still shot. My back is not doing great, you know? This job is a whole different kind of exhaustion. There is a genuine, I got to be honest with people, I do not recommend this job for people who have heart conditions. I'm not going to lie. It is an, I feel like I'm stressed to the max most days in ways I've never been. I feel like I've found new ways to be exhausted in the last two years of my life. And I'm grateful. Like I am so grateful for I'm having the team around me. I have, so Mercury Stardust Media is not just me anymore. It is six people total. We have five people who work with me most days, three of which are, are full-time people. And everyone gets paid equitably. I do not uh, make much more than everyone else does. The minimal person, I think, gets paid 32 bucks an hour. So we try our best every single day to balance things out and make it less scary for me. But yeah, it is a lot. It is so much. And when you're talking to other content creators, there's like a shorthand that you get to have with each other where it's like, hey, 
you already know these things. And I can't imagine when content creators don't have a business person, don't have a creative director, and don't have those people around them. I did that for the first year. I don't recommend it. That's amazing. I don't have any of those people, but I will say this. Because (laughs) I published with Simon & Schuster, I do have a publicist. I have an agent. I have an overseas agent. I have like a marketing, you know what I mean? But they're not like reporting to me daily. They're like working for Simon & Schuster, but it's still a huge load. And well, I do have a woman that does my Instagram for me. And I think that's the thing is like, it is awesome, but there's also this weird space where like it used to be that like famous people were celebrities. You were a celebrity or you were a non-celebrity. And it's weird to be on the world of content creating where you have a platform, you become sort of a a known person, and also you're reading your comment section. Celebrities had insulation from themselves and their fans at one point. We don't. You know, like it's a direct line to us in a lot of ways. You know, I don't really read my emails or my fan mails like I used to. I just don't. My team does, and they will pick ones that they think I would like and give it to me. So we funnel it through me a lot more. That's been a huge change because I used to find myself, well, if you wrote it, I feel like I have to read it. Oh, boy. And I felt like I had to respond and it had to be a very emotionally laborious response. I was taking phone calls from people at two o'clock in the morning from Alaska to fix their sinks. That's a real thing I did. Oh, my gosh. There was someone who sent me an email uh, the first two months or something being the trans handyman. And she was in the worst way, Casey. She was panicking about her husband was in the military and she was all alone and she's in this like backwards, you know, area in Alaska. It takes two hours to get this in the nearest store. She had nothing at home besides like baking soda and vinegar. And I spent like literally hours on the phone with her, walking her through how to like take care of her clog in her bathroom. She was like so devastated. And I loved it though. I loved that kind of stuff. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world that I got to be that involved in people's life. But then it started really shifting. And now the bigger I got, the less of a human I got to some people. And the tone in the comment sections stopped being about me being a human and sometimes about an entity like people would either choose to look at the lens of my of only i was a trans person or people would look at me like i was like a a trans holier than thou entity and they would either use me as an example to put down other trans people or they would use me as an example of how all trans people are this one way And it started shifting. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. I can't be this directly involved in my audience anymore. I can't read every email. I can't comment everything. I can't do it anymore. Uh, It was a really hard shift. It's still hard. But sometimes I feel like I'm so far away from my audience now. Um, But it's been for my best mental health I've ever done. Good for you. Okay, quick break. And then I want to come back and I want to talk about your book. I've never met a free trial that I didn't like. The problem is, is that I often forget to get out of them before they start charging me. But I don't have that problem since I started using Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. I love how the dashboard shows me this month's spending compared to last month, and I can clearly see my spending habits. Plus, they'll help me create a custom budget and keep my spending on track. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lower bills for you, up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill, 
and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll even deal with customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of 500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash struggle. That's rocketmoney.com slash struggle, rocketmoney.com slash struggle. A few weeks ago, my husband's beloved grandfather died, and it's been a really sad time for our whole family. But one of the moments of light in this whole process was shortly after he passed away, I got an email from my mother-in-law, and she had sent all of us a link to his StoryWorth book. I don't know if you're familiar with StoryWorth, but I have a new appreciation for them now that we have a StoryWorth book on my husband's grandfather. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is respond to that email with a story, long or short, it doesn't matter. And then you get emailed a copy of their response as they're submitted in the course of a year. You'll get to enjoy the retelling of their stories that you already know or be surprised by stories you've never heard before. And after that year of fun, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. I am so grateful to my mother-in-law for doing this with her dad. We love it. Families love StoryWorth. That's why it has more than 25,000 five-star reviews on Trustpilot with millions of stories preserved since they were founded over 10 years ago. So Mother's Day is coming up and I want to give all the moms in your life a unique heartfelt gift that you will cherish for years. Right now, save 10% on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash struggle. That's storyworth.com slash struggle to save $10 on your first purchase. Whether it's Mother's Day, Father's Day, or just because you know that sometimes time is short and you want to capture those memories. Okay, so you have a book. I have pre-ordered it. I am so excited to get it. And it is called Safe and Sound. So talk to me first about the title. Why Safe and Sound? Well, Safe and Sound came because the pushback was they didn't want me to call a renter's friendly guide to home repair. So ironically enough, Safe and Sound, a renter's friendly guide to home repair was a way for me to compromise. <laughs> because again, they were so afraid of it being just for renters. But as I said many, many times, a focus is not an exclusion. So Safe and Sound very much came about wanting to make the audience feel like they were being hugged by the book. Uh, that is exactly how it feels. Because so much of things in this field are like how to fix your home for dummies, you know, like drywall repair for dummies, you know, or painting for idiots, you know what I mean? Or idiots guided this, you know, they're insulting you before you even open the book. <laughs> No, Safe and Sound is such a perfect title because it not only tells me that I can leave my apartment safe and sound, that like, obviously, I can't do certain things because it's not my, you know, property. But it also made me feel as though I was going to be safe and sound in your hands, like that I was going to be taken care of and I wasn't going to be shamed or made to feel stupid and, and any of that. So much of the book, that after every single chapter in the book, there's something we call an emotional reset. And it's like a paragraph to two to three paragraphs where I am trying to meet people where they're at. And I'm just saying, hey, I know it's rough. I know it's hard. 
And if you didn't solve the problem, it's not the end of the world. You're going to be okay. And I also have a QR video uh, that we put QR codes in them and a lot of the book for not just the how-tos, but also for the emotional reset. So you, you can pull the QR code up and you can see me in a video just saying something similar, being like, hey, it's okay. You know, sometimes things are hard and the outcome that we wanted didn't didn't turn out or you did it and it was really tough and now you're very tired. So take that break, you know, and that's the thing. You don't, the reason why this book existed is again, because when I was starting in this industry, like 15, 16 years ago, my biggest source of learning how to do this stuff was books. But when I was reading it, I could never understand what they were talking about. I would listen, I would read Bob Villa's books and I loved his books. It was so detailed, but they were so detailed, Casey, that it was like, I was like peeling back an onion that I would never be able to get to the center of. I'm like, what do you mean this thing, this like rubber gas, plastic thing, you know, and they'll have like a specific name, a widget, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, what is a widget, blah, 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 you know, and there, there, there would just be a whole bunch of gatekeeping before I even got to the, the fix, you know. So when I was given the opportunity to do the book, what I really wanted to do was not focus on terminology. Terminology is important and, and can be great for education, but there's a limit to it. There's a there's only so much new words I can take in in a single sentence. And if I'm going to call something that has a weird name to it. By the specific name over and over again, you're going to get confused. So I literally say jig a thingamajig like a bunch in this book. Because as long as you get it and you can see an image of it and you have an idea of what it does, that's all that that's important. So that's kind of where a lot of the book, the sense came from too, was it was kind of like taking my main idea online and just growing it and expanding it into a book. Oh, I totally get that. I feel like that's exactly what I did with my book. It is genius to have the emotional resets in there. Because that's kind of like what I feel like when it comes to you and me and some other content creators, like that's our like corner of the internet is this idea that like who you are and the fact that life can be hard, like you don't have to check that at the door just to get access to some basic information. Like one of the things that I've found was kind of like radical is that when that, when I have Zoom meetings with people now, I have really leaned into like, hey, we might have to reschedule and there might be a kid in the background and maybe you were sick that day. And maybe because I just realized like it's such a patriarchal idea that when we show up for quote unquote work, we're supposed to pretend like we have no life outside of that that could possibly be encroaching. And I feel like that's true of all topics and spheres of life, including people might think it's not profound to allow people to bring their whole struggled self into home repair, but it is. You know, I'm going to tell you something that I am just so scared to share on the internet, but I'm going to say it anyways. My biggest fear in the world is financial stuff. And a few weeks ago, you brought on River Nice, and that was like a life-changing episode that you did. And that's the thing. There's so many aspects, like even for me, as a gentle DIYer, there are so many things that I cannot get out of my own way on sometimes because there's so much internalized things in the back of my head saying I'm not worthy, you know? And I think that there's the one number one thing that you, me, River, does so many of us do is that we are just essentially saying to people that we are going to meet you where you're at 
rather than telling you where you need to be. And that is a huge, the biggest difference. You know, like when I'm showing people how to do use toothpaste or a magnet or toothpicks to fix stuff, I'm just saying, go to your cabinet and grab what you got and let's just do what we can. Is it going to be perfect? Maybe not. But you did something and you tried your best. And that's going to be a whole lot better than doing zero. So I don't know. I wish I could apply the same mentality to every single aspect of my life, but I'm still learning how to lean into my ADHD. I'm still learning how to lean into my insecurities about finances. And I'm really grateful for all our friends, a lot of which I've never met on the internet, (laughs) uh, (laughs) who are also doing the same things that you and I are doing, but in different ways to help bridge that gap for so many of us. All right. Tell us about your book tour. My book tour is wildly stupid. Uh, <laughs> it's 52 <laughs> cities. It's the largest book tour in America this year. And the here's a little tidbit of knowledge for you. The reason why we're doing 52 cities is because a friend of mine said to me that, uh, well, you know, you want to do 20 some cities. That's quite a bit. I think that's a little like that's a little hard to do. I don't know if that's going to be reasonable. And I said, oh, what would be the most unreasonable number that you could think about? And his response was 50. 50 would be an absolute crazy thing for you to do. And I was like, okay, we'll do 52. I literally did this out of spite. (laughs) And if anyone knows me in real life, you'll know that I operate purely on spite. (laughs) And I thought it'd be coolest thing in the world to travel for two months and meet as many of my fans as possible and help spread the message that this book tries to give. And that's that everyone's worth the time it takes to learn a new skill. And I really do believe strongly in those words. And I was like, Hey, you know what? This puts me down in the South. It puts me down in the West coast and East coast and all over the place. We're going to so many bookstores and we're going to almost specifically uh, queer owned independent run bookstores and that makes me so delighted and the best part is i think i'm uh, some of the bookstores are going to let me fix up their bookshelves or fix up their walls and stuff while i'm there so I'm oh like, that's lovely i'm so stoked about it i think it's going to be the funnest trip of my life and it's going to be two months away it's going to be two weeks off two weeks on two weeks off two weeks on two weeks off all the way through december and then Right, and the last trip is going to be in San Francisco, and me and my spouse are going to spend our five-year anniversary in San Francisco for about a week or two, and I am so... We're actually going to fly out the whole team. Everyone on staff is going to be flown out to San Francisco, too, so they can spend the holidays with whatever they want and with us if they want to. I'm so grateful for all the love and support we've gotten to make this book tour happen. Well, let me tell you one of the, I haven't obviously read the book yet, but so far my favorite thing about the cover is that your blue hair is on the cover because I remember the video that you made when you first did your hair and talked about how you had always wanted blue hair, but that you just weren't ready to draw that much attention to yourself as this like beautiful trans woman that you are. And I remembered that video. I've always remembered that video of yours. And so when I saw the cover and I saw that that I was like, this is what she wanted. Like, this is exactly how she would have wanted to be on the cover of this book. And I'm so glad that you did. There's a good story behind that. So the person who did the illustrations on the cover, their name is Glitter Hurricane. They're the very first TikToker to ever do wet or stitch one of my videos. They Years ago, when they first did it, 
I messaged them and said, hey, that was the sweetest thing anyone has ever done for me. You know, one day I'm going to find a way to how to, how to repay you for that kindness. Because it was one of the very first videos that put me on the map. They, like their video went viral about me and it really started opening up my life in a lot of ways. So when I got that opportunity to have someone illustrate my book and Glitter is an, a really wonderful illustrator, I was like, hmm, I got an idea. So I reached out to Glitter and had them do it. And their their art style is so queer and whimsical and I love it. But originally, my hair was brown at the time. And we were doing it. And then I messaged Glitter and I said, hey, I got a surprise for you that's going to change everything we're doing for the book. And I sent him a photo, <laughs> a photo of me with my blue hair and been like, surprise, can this be in the book now? <laughs> and we had a deadline. Our deadline was like really close to happening and they only had a couple weeks to change all the color of all my hair and then we were like okay as a team i want you all to know that my hair is going to be purple and blue for quite a while so (laughs) you you better just lean into that yeah it's quite funny but my hair was before i transitioned i had blue hair for about 10 years straight and when i transitioned i felt like i could no longer have blue hair because I felt like I was, like you said, I felt like I was a target more than I already was. And I felt like I had to grow the blue hair out and then have my natural brown hair. And I loved my natural hair color, but it was not me. I love the blue. The blue is so much more galaxy and whimsical and and wild. And I honestly feel like more myself now after me dyeing my hair, you know, than I did before. Well, Mercury, I can't thank you enough for coming on. And I just love you. And I've always admired you and your work. And can you tell people where they can find you if they want to follow you? They can follow me on anywhere on the internet under Mercury Stardust. I am on TikTok, on Instagram, on threads, on YouTube, on Facebook. I'm all over the place, always helping people with their homes in some way, shape or form. Or you can always find me on MercuryStardust.com. We'll be making a whole bunch of stuff on there this year Will you be able to look at all my how-tos um, on there eventually as well? And they can order the book. I know you can get it on Amazon, and I'm assuming it's out at the independent bookstores as well. I highly, highly encourage people going to bookshop.org and buying local. Bookshop.org is a wonderful website that helps you find independently owned bookstores across the country. If you're able to go independent, I highly recommend it. But if you're not able to, and Amazon is just the easiest for you, or Barnes & Noble are great, I go that route too. But my book is literally everywhere in the country, and I think... Um, we've already sold something over like 30,000 copies of the book, um, and it's only in pre-order. So, boy, we're spicy. We're just pushing that book out. Well, congratulations. That's amazing. Well, I love you so much, and I'm so glad you're here. And uh, I just I could go on and on, I promise. Oh, I could go on and on about you. So <laughs> I feel like touche. <laughs> and I will see you at the Blue Willow Bookstore when you come to Houston. Oh, I'm so excited. I cannot. I'm going to give you the biggest hug in the whole world. Yes. And you can see that I really am 5'2". <laughs> you can see that I'm 5'11". I'm actually 6'1", <laughs> but don't tell the internet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, those of you guys listening, go check out Mercury Stardust. Get the book. Check out the website and follow on Twitter. And we love you all. Go take care of yourself today.
If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.